Hello? I still sound very nasally. It's okay. They'll just think that you have a raspy voice naturally, but they won't know. Yeah. You sound great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first ever uh, episode of A Drinkable Podcast Book Club Edition. And I know I said book club edition like there are other editions, but there are not other editions. However, I reserve the right to make other editions of this. So here's how this works. VNA and I, my guest, VNA, say hello. Hi. I'm Kevin. We're your hosts. Uh, we are going to be discussing the book that we have read this week. And this is a book. It's a little bit older. Uh, it's been on my list for a bit. Um, I read it a while ago uh, during quarantine, and I read it again this week. Uh, a Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. The thing that makes this a drinkable podcast is that we are also drinking a drink. Today's featured drink, uh, in line with the theme of A Head Full of Ghosts, is a fireball peach orange mango sangria. The recipe uh, for which I got was on... And we can put this in the description below or wherever you're finding this on yumly.com. It is a fireball sangria. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well as the book. So let's get into this. Um, I think NPR has a very succinct uh, summary of this book. Uh, it's a book about a TV show about a real life event whose facts have never been fully established with running meta commentary by a blog that bears its own secret agenda. Told by an eyewitness whose reliability is just as problematic. So there are several different layers to this book. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, it was suggested to me by, believe it or not, the Amazon algorithm. Um, and again, I bought it when it came out. Didn't read it until last year in isolation. And then uh, when we were talking about how we were going to go forward with this, um, decided to read it again. We also listened to the audiobook. Um, I've even watched videos where the author has given um, interviews where he's talked about what inspired him to uh, do this take on an exorcism story. So the main character of the book is a woman whose name is, uh, she goes by Mary, right? Her name is Meredith, I believe. Barrett, the last name. And it's a New England family. And um, when the main character was eight years old, her 14-year-old older sister, Marjorie, uh, began to, I guess, sort of act out of character, um, act mentally ill. She was in therapy. And uh, through all of this, the, the father has... I guess, renewed his faith in Catholicism and slowly starts to believe that his daughter is possessed. Um, the father is not the breadwinner for this house. Uh, the wife is keeping his going. They're, they have a lot of bills. They're in danger of losing this sort of American dream that they've cultivated. Um, and in order to combat that and to make some money, because, of course, all of these medical bills are piling up, he decides to invite uh, the Discovery Channel into their house and to film a documentary about their family called The Possession. So again, we have in the present day, older Mary is speaking to a news reporter who I, who I believe is named Rachel about this documentary that happened so many years prior. Uh, and then we kind of flash back and flash forward and then cut into all of this are these um, blog post entries, which are commentaries on the show, The Possession. So the show within this book about her experience growing up. So it's about all sorts of things. It's about how these media tend to borrow from each other, right? Everything is, every exorcism story is essentially a retelling of the exorcist, right? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, and then we have sort of other sort of little horror movie Easter eggs, so to speak. 
So at the very back of this book, there are these reading group uh, discussion guide questions. And so I'm going to use these to sort of um, frame this this conversation, this dialogue that I'm having with you, uh, V. All right. So let's see. Well, the first question, and I don't actually see it on here, um, is I want to ask you, um, do you think that uh, Marjorie was possessed? No. Why not? I think she was just mentally ill. Like what makes was, it, yeah, what makes you think I want to know? She just seemed crazy in the beginning. She told her little sister that she's she's acting possessed. That she's faking it. Who the hell would fake a exorcism or possession, whatever? Who, who would fake that? I'm not going to, like, fake that and then tell my sister, oh, by the way, I was faking it. Right, but, like, where where would she even get the idea to, like, Fake a possession. Yeah. Because like, yeah. for me. Well, I mean, I know why. Yeah. But then. Well, because for me, it's like she has to assume, you know, obviously their father has found his faith again, but she's making a lot of assumptions there. She's assuming that her dad is going to react the way that he reacts, yeah. that he's going to invite this crew and that that's going to be how they make money is is this documentary. So unless she somehow gave him the idea to, which we don't ever hear yeah. if she did, to invite this like camera crew that's in true. to make the show, like it just it just seems to me like it's like. You know, if it, if it's that, was she doing it to scare him? And then also this, she got this idea after he first mentioned the possession. Like, like it, it's a lot of leaps and logic mm-hmm. to be like, oh, she's faking it. But also, I don't believe in this shit, so I think she's faking it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I uh, I'm a little. <clears throat> the ending for me is what made this book right. Like I was yeah. everything up to that. I was like, okay, this is good. This is kind of weird. Um, I'm into it. But like the ending for me, I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like what? What did I just read? Like what? What did? Yeah. And then when I'm listening, to it, I'm like, wait, what? Like what? This came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? That whole ending, and then I was like, okay, this really, like, changed the way that I thought about um, the book. So let's look at these questions. Question number one. All right. It says Mary talks about how conflicting oral histories, urban legends, pop culture, the internet, and media have affected her memory of the events she experienced. Discuss the challenges of telling a story in the information age. How does our culture's saturation in information and disinformation add to the feelings of dread, paranoia, and horror within the novel? How does having seen shows shows like American Horror Story in this or even yeah. um watching The Exorcist, which again you just said that you just watched recently, right? How yeah, does I watched like it so with my son. If you, if something like this had happened to you, right, uh, growing up, and then you grow up seeing all this other stuff and then you're retelling the story, like is it possible that like what you've seen has would would bleed into like your memory of things? Like would you like embellish or or add on to that um the, the story like does your story become more i feel like if i would have never seen anything about it, like exorcisms or possessions i feel like i wouldn't i wouldn't think of that mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah like because i was introduced to the movie since i was very young my dad sat down with me and like mm-hmm. oh come watch it he wasn't the type of parent i was like oh you can't watch that because it's bad he let me watch the exorcist when i was like five yeah. So then I watched it later on when I was a little older, maybe like seven or eight, like my son's age. And then as I got older, then I was thinking like, okay, what if I keep watching this, am I going to get possessed? But if I would have never seen that movie, uh-huh. like let's say I lived on an island where there was <laughs> nothing right. like that. You know uh-huh. what I mean? I would have never thought people can get possessed. Uh-huh. So I feel like whoever introduced it mm. or talked about it first and the then Bible. like- <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. yeah, I mean, I think um, 
having seen The Exorcist, having seen, you know, I guess, worse versions of it, Exorcism, Emily Rose. Yeah. Any possession story. Even I think that one freaked me out more than The Exorcist Um, with, uh, what's her name? Linda Linda Blair. Linda Blair, yeah. Yeah. I think Uh, that one scared me more. Yeah, with me, for me, it was like, there's so many, like, like, things about, uh, there's so many, I guess there's so many horror media franchises based around, like, the practices and the beliefs of, like, Catholicism. And it's like, I'm sorry, what scares me about, like, the Catholic Church isn't demonic possession is pedophile priests <laughs> you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so well, now that i'm older now i'm not afraid of that happening to me like if i'm home alone uh-huh. and i'm just just me uh-huh. home alone with uh my son I, i'm not afraid of like a demonic entity or um mm. being possessed in the middle of the night for no reason i'm not afraid of that i'm more afraid of someone breaking into my house yeah and- i mean i wasn't even like we growing up we weren't even catholic but i think the the fact that this is so present in in media, like I said, I I, I told you this before. Like, um, I would walk around thinking like, okay, if I don't if I don't pray hard enough, if I don't believe hard enough, if I don't act right, um, I'm gonna get possessed by a demon. Also, I was told when I was younger that if you were not baptized, uh-huh. that you would be possessed. Really? Yeah. And it wasn't my parents. It wasn't not my parents, but someone else's parents told me like. Well, you have to be baptized because if not, you'll be possessed later on. Like I would ask questions as to, oh, why does this happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, she she was possessed because um, she was never baptized when she was younger. That that they believe that that's why you have to be baptized. Got it. Okay, so let's move on to this next question because we can go on and on. And I want to keep this yeah. yeah moving. It says Marjorie and Mary's sibling relationship is as complex as it is heartbreaking. Discuss the power dynamics and nuances of their relationship. Talk about how your own experience as either an older or younger sibling has shaped who you've become. And you are both an older. No, you're just an older sibling. You're the <laughs> yeah. oldest. Okay, so I'm the middle child. So yeah. this is interesting. All right. So how has your experience as an older sibling shaped who you've become? become more like like as a person you today being a um you always have to set an example for the younger ones okay um so this is interesting because i am the so i'm the third kid of four mm-hmm. and um but i'm the second boy so my my sister i have one sister and it's my older brother and my sister and me and then my little mm-hmm. brother right so um my older sister and i are the closest in age we're about a, a little over a year uh, like I guess apart, and so um, there's always been this sort of uh, and not even unspoken, but like I I I guess I not necessarily even a competition, but um, I feel like just just because of the way things are, um, she as the only girl not only had punishment a little bit harder, like like they were harder on her because <laughs> yeah, as the only girl, you're the one who can get pregnant. As the boy, you're the one who can get girls pregnant. So yeah, yeah. As the oldest one, yeah, that that happened. My brother got all the freedom. Mm-hmm. He's the middle child, though. That's hilarious. All right, so mm-hmm. stories are how Marjorie and Mary communicate, and they play a central role in their relationship. As an adult, Mary has a writing job that requires her to deconstruct stories. How do this? How do the stories the sisters tell each other mirror and inform their relationship? And discuss how story shapes Mary as an adult, and how the stories we read, watch, and are told shape us all. That was a hard one. I'm sorry. Um, I'll answer this while you while you think about it. Um, so again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, if this were you, if this had happened to you as a kid, and now all this time later, you've consumed all the all this media, right? And not only that, you're writing, um, you know, Mary actively. So the big twist, spoiler alert: um, the blog posts that are cut throughout the novel are written by 
uh, Mary herself as an adult, but she's pretending she's writing him from the point of view of a 14 year old girl, which sidebar, I also thought was noteworthy because when all this stuff is happening with the possession, her sister's 14 at the time. And so later when Mary is an adult, she's reviewing horror books and and horror media and all this other stuff as a 14 year old girl. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I didn't think about that until we were going back, uh, back over it again. Yeah, so it's interesting to me that she's sitting down and and telling this story again. She's telling the truth, right, to this Rachel, this this you know writer who's going to help her write a book about everything. And um, some of the scenes when they're being described by Mary um, as an adult and as they happened to her as an eight year old um, are like straight up like it's almost like she's describing scenes from movies, uh, and it does lean heavily on um, like The Exorcist and, and all of those. Uh, you know, we have the her, the room being cold and they can see their breath because yeah. yeah and like you know they describe it and it's and it's very much like like i said like is it an easter egg is it you know supposed to be a ripoff or is it that these stories have colored her memory as an adult of what happened to her um as a kid so so i think that's uh that was an interesting part or an interesting uh thing to factor into um experiencing this novel Okay, I actually like this. Uh, it says, could a reality TV show like The Possession be filmed today? Uh, would there be controversy and or backlash? And would you watch it? Yeah, I would watch it. <laughs> okay. So speaking of Discovery, um, we do watch a ton of uh, Discovery Plus, the uh, the app. So I, I think we consume a lot of uh, uh, demonic media mm-hmm. to the point where... If something doesn't hook me within the first few episodes or even within that first episode, um, I'm tuning out. I'm not I'm not sticking around for episode two. Um, it's the same way with podcasts. It has to be really weird from the from the jump. Yes, absolutely. Discuss how the author uses Mary's vivid and consistent use of imagination and pretend play to build her character and how those games either impact the plot or foreshadow events to come. So the character of Mary's imagination, how does it impact or foreshadow? the plot mary had this very weird tragic thing happen to her when she was eight years old and the rest of her life is shaped by it you know she yeah, she, exactly. she she became friends with the writer right because this reality tv show had a writer because of course none of it is actually as it happens it's all produced and all um guided right and so this writer of the show whose job it is to shape what the scenes into an arc and maybe even film additional scenes and suggest things um becomes her friend and then she becomes a horror writer in her own right and not necessarily in the fe- in the sense that she's um writing original stories like she's not a novelist um she's reviewing other people's work and yeah. so i think she that was something that was seeded very early on with her becoming friends and i think his name is kenny or kenneth right with her becoming friends with kenneth um and, and then feeling sort of lost when when the show ends and he leaves and she's looking for him right she's even giving him um <laughs> She's even suggesting things for him to write. Can you can you write this mm-hmm. uh, this maze that her mom gave her, you know, into the show somehow? Uh, and then he gives her on camera, you know. So I think I think it's very much uh, foresh- there's there's foreshadowing there. I th- I think the other thing that foreshadows um, like kind of like the ending mm-hmm. is we spend so much time in the beginning uh, as an adult. She's describing the house, and one thing that I caught the second time around when we were listening to it is she keeps talking about the stairs. And like, I, and even in the cover of this book is is this sideways view yeah. of a staircase, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I never, I never really 
um, I guess, put too much stock into that. But it ends really for her at the stairs. It's where the mm-hmm. show ends. And that's also how this book begins. It's a really nice, uh, you know, bookends to this um, to this story of, of this thing that happened to her when she was growing up. Ken and Rachel are presented as, if not friends of Mary, at least the most sympathetic ears to her situation. Compare and contrast those relationships and how both Ken and Rachel go about the sticky task of balancing their conflict of interest with selling a story. Um, so again, Ken is the the writer of the show, and then Rachel is writing this uh, book or this article or whatever yeah. whatever form it takes uh, many years later. So obviously, I think Ken wants Ken sees I think uh, little Mary right because she's eight when she meets him yeah. um, as sort of like an ally in this. Like he can you know when he gives her the camera and says shoot these but don't show anybody or that was I think it's Ken there you know shoot these but your own footage but don't show anyone until you've shown me. Like he wants to be the one to present this cool idea that he had to, to give this girl. So he kind of lets her imagination run wild mm-hmm. and is kind of just appeasing her. Like he plays soccer with her. He's just humoring her in a sense, you know, to get additional footage, to get mm-hmm. her to say things maybe even. Um, whereas Rachel, um, I think, has some element of genuine intrigue. You know, maybe she watched the show or whatever. But mm-hmm. like also, I mean, she gets she gets a bombshell at the end, right? Um, yeah, they're, they're sympathetic because... This is a weird thing to happen to, to to a kid, and it's a weird it's a weird premise in general. The fact that like, okay, my my sister's possessed, and a crew came and shot a documentary mm-hmm. for for Discovery Channel around that possession. Like, that's such a weird premise, which I which is why I think I was drawn to it in the first place. Because mm-hmm. one, you you know, we know that reality TV show, or we have some, we suspect right that reality TV show is not one hundred percent reality. Mm-hmm. We, we know that to some extent. And then we also question whether or not things like possession are actual demonic possession or like mental illness. So there's all these things that we're questioning going into this. And so, yeah, I mean, that's my that's my take on it. I don't know if you have anything to add. This, these last few questions are really good. Uh, it says, during the rite of exorcism, Marjorie says, I am not a creature. I'm I'm Marjorie, a 14 year old girl scared of everything who doesn't know why she hears voices that tell her confusing things. Is Marjorie possessed or suffering from a psychotic break slash schizophrenia? We kind of answered this uh, before using the quote and the evidence called from the rest of the novel. Build your case and defend it. So you said you don't hear voices. She hears voices. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> anybody who hears voices, I feel like something's wrong with them. Like Right. That's kind of the other thing too. If if you hear voices and you're hearing the voice of God telling you to do things, like maybe you're, you know, maybe we call you a prophet, right? Yeah. But it's like when you hear voices of the devil, it's like all of a sudden, like, oh, you're crazy. So it's like one of these acceptable ones, not unless the voice of God that you're hearing is telling you to do things that we uh, know are morally wrong, right? Or inherently like wrong. Like if the voice of God is telling you to drown your kids, mm-hmm. then we're like, okay, that wasn't God, bitch. That was the devil. But if, yeah. <laughs> but but if if the voice of God is telling you, you know, feed the poor or come work for the ministry, you're like, oh yes, you. It's a calling. Go yeah. work. Yeah. So yeah, I I feel like that's, I yeah, absolutely mentally ill. I don't. We there are things that we don't know, right? But also, the story is being told from the the point of view of growing up you know mary like we only know what she knows like we don't know if mm-hmm. you know we know what she heard we know what she was able to gather later on in life when she became you know obsessed with this television show that she um i guess unwillingly to some extent started but also as a child she just wanted attention like your mm-hmm. your, your older sister is has a whole freaking show being made around her you just want to be a part of it mm-hmm. so um yeah i think i don't think there's much of a case to be made there I think it just depends. Do you, do you believe that all this stuff can be explained away by demonic possession, or is it just because we don't know? Mary doesn't know everything, and it's told from her point of view. No, she was only eight. Yeah. Uh, is there any significance to Mary's breath being visible in the coffee shop before she leaves? This is fun because you asked me this. You asked me if maybe Mary was possessed, or if I thought that she was supposed to be possessed. 
Yeah. And um, that's kind of in every possession story, even even in like The Conjuring, right? Especially this recent one. There's this idea that like someone can can step in and and you know I volunteer as tribute and sort yeah. of and sort of take the possession away from somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the going back to the original Exorcism, I mean, probably even before that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that like, oh, you know, you're I'm I'm sacrificing my soul so that yours can can be clean or whatever and mm-hmm. the demon latches onto you if there was a demon if that demon was exercised right um did it latch on to to mary and if it latched on to mary i'm wondering do you think that that's why spoiler alert mary inadvertently uh listening to her sister poisons her entire family so what do you think that's a case for possession or i mean she said it was an accident y- yes do you believe it was an accident no I don't I don't know. It's weird. It's uh-huh. really weird. I was uh-huh. I thought Marjorie was a crazy bitch here. <laughs> right. So at the end so after the show ends, um in an in an unsuccessful exorcism, I'm just gonna sum up for for, for those of you who have not read it yet. If you haven't read it, please read it because we're spoiling everything about it. Um audiobook, maybe audible will jump in with us with a freaking sponsorship over here. Shout out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so after uh, the show is over and while the show is even being filmed or while it's airing, because it's still shooting while it's airing um, and people start to protest outside of their house. People are like lining up outside the house with signs like like talking about like how she needs help or whether or like. So after the show ends unceremoniously because the exorcism goes bad and they pull the plug after six episodes, um, the dad starts uh, getting these terrible emails from this guy who's basically telling them that they, who like runs some online forum who was like telling them they need to like kill themselves or like he needs he knows what he needs to do. And then we find out. Uh, like so, like really randomly, it's like kind of just dropped in that like the father supposedly poisoned everyone in the family except for somehow um, Mary. And mm-hmm. it's because Mary, we learned very early on in the book, doesn't like spaghetti sauce. She has her noodles with butter. Mm-hmm. And so he supposedly poisoned the spaghetti sauce. They all ate it except for Mary because she had butter noodles and they all died. And um, we le- we learned later that it wasn't the dad who supposedly had this giant like cross that he was using this 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 specific thing that was used to poison them is the same thing that's used in polish for for the what the the was it pewter or whatever this this <laughs> this giant cross that he that he saves from the exorcism um, is made of and he just wanted to polish it or whatever so maybe he had this like lying around um, or you know maybe he got it specifically to poison them like it's it's kind of left up in the air but of course at the very end of the novel it's revealed that it was actually Mary and and her sister Marjorie who put the poison in the sauce because they wanted to again suggested by Marjorie to make them sick enough so that they could see that she was in need of help and that he was acting crazy and that in fact if anyone was possessed it was the father because mm-hmm. he was acting so crazy and he was so uh in, in, I guess in his devoutness right um and of course uh Marjorie tricks Mary into poisoning them all and uh this eight-year-old girl uh, inadvertently poisons her whole family and even Marjorie at the same time who says she's not going to eat any of the sauce helps herself to a big help- helping and essentially commits suicide in front of her sister. The eight-year-old girl not knowing how serious it is is just like, oh, it's cool. It's whatever. Like, they're going to be fine. Like, we're going to call the, the ambulance and they're going to, you know, get, admonish them and be like, that's what you get. The very end of it, they're at the coffee shop. That's where this reveal happens. And she gets up and as she's getting up, there's this, we get this description of her breath hanging in the air in this mist, which of course call, harkens back to the exorcism and the coldness of the room and how you can see your breath. So yeah, so it's asking us, is there is there any more? I guess that is the 
other possibility is that if if there was a possession, mm-hmm. if this was a thing that existed, um, did this thing latch on to, uh, to to the little girl, or or when did it latch on? It even like did it? You know what I mean? Like so that, I, or was it Marjorie's like spirit or something that latched uh, onto her? And Marjorie's like spirit was already like mm. that. Well, that's something that I thought was interesting too, because when they they early on she asked her like when did it, when did it first start happening, and and she's just like what do you mean? There there was no when did it first start happening. Like she was always you know this troubled uh girl but she just started getting worse around this time yeah. but also when you're 14 you kind of suck i mean i could have just said i was possessed when i was 15 yeah i was acting like a crazy bitch we talked about this today. i was terrible i hated everybody too i still hate everybody but i too 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 but now as an adult you, you know you i hate, was like you hate people privately yeah yeah <laughs> you don't hate them out in the open yeah. okay so uh what book or movie or story has scared you the most? And that's the last question from the book book club discussion questions, which I actually really appreciate because that made this whole thing uh, go a lot smoother. Or what? What I guess? What? Yeah. What? What is? What are you most scared of? If if not a piece of media, aliens. Oh, I'm scared they're gonna take me when I'm asleep. Aliens. <laughs> I believe in aliens more than I believe in an exorcism possession type mm-hmm. of thing i think it's almost uh naive to think that that humanity is so special that we're like the one of a kind if there yeah. are like untold galaxies and and so many planets like you're telling me we're the one out of x million trillion uh-huh. you know planets that has this unique set of circumstances that allowed humanity to yeah. evolve like absolutely the fuck not yeah yeah exactly. but i'm terrified of the movie the fourth kind oh, i loved it so I good. love it, but then I'm also terrified. Okay, what am I? What am I scared of? Like, what makes you feel weird inside when you watch it? Oh God, um, I think I'm very jaded in this. Like, again, I I'm more. I love watching horror movies or even listening to these books or reading these things because I love the feeling of uneasiness. I love that because it is that release of adrenaline. Like, when okay. the jump scare happens. You know, sorry to cut you off. No. You know what other movies like creeps me out. But I, I, I mean, things that creep me out or scare me or make me feel weird, mm-hmm. I'll do it again. I'll watch it again. It's like I'm terrified, but then I'm like, but I, I gotta, I got, I need more. Uh-huh. The fourth kind uh-huh. and hereditary. Oh my god, um, I, I was actually speaking of hereditary. I think that's what I was gonna say. Cult stuff. Yeah, like the, that, es- especially yeah. Not, not even just like like the cults that are like actively like murdering, but like the idea of like that this one figurehead can and this, this happens all the time. Look at the election. Look at um freaking Nazi Germany. Look at anything. Like the idea that this one figurehead, this one charismatic sociopath, has enough power in their words to whip up a mob into a frenzy, mm-hmm. and and just by saying something make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's. And it's not, I'm not scared that I'm going to end up in a cult, right? Oh, uh, it's just freaky. Yeah, but it's just the idea that like these things exist. Like they there do. are, there are people who literally congregate to just jerk each other off and like, oh, we're so great. We're so special. White supremacists, the Ku Klux Klan, that shit scares me because it's like, what the fuck? Like who invented y'all? Yeah. Like, like what? Are, like what? So that's, I think that it's more of a realistic uh, fear, right? Obviously it's not aliens. It's not demons. Um, aliens do scare the shit. But out I mean, in a sense, I guess that, that what it comes down to is I'm afraid of other people. I'm afraid yeah. of other people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, to, to, to cap this off, if you had to rate this book uh, out of five stars, how would you rate it? 
I would say five. Really? Yeah. I was excited the whole time. Yeah, I think uh, reading it, like I said, it was a book that I had wanted to read forever. I just didn't get around to it until like lockdown last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally read it and I was like, again, a page turn. I was like, what am I, what is, what is happening? What am I reading? Uh, it's very easy to tear through. You could, you could go through it in a day, right? Um, we listen yeah. to the audiobook as well. Audiobook is like eight hours, a little over eight hours. Mm-hmm. And um, at first I wasn't sure how I liked the performance, but the more I got it, I was like, oh, this, she's doing a really good job of like embodying the character. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just the girl's voice. She's, she's playing the character of um mary as an old as an older woman yeah and i think that really helped for me to kind of help me connect that material a little bit more um i do have a little i do have a couple of problems with it for me there are parts of it that were too on the nose and too obvious and like oh obviously obviously it's this or Mm -hmm. obviously this is a reference to that and then we have the blog posts that give it that meta layer where it's like okay everything that you just saw Mm -hmm. and you know as as a reader because you've consumed the exorcist because you've watched these things now i'm going to tell you this is exactly what i'm doing and as someone who loves freaking like meta things like shows about shows or books about books about shows um it was just a little too much and then the the character of the 14 year old character who's writing the blog the the last final girl blog whatever she calls herself um was annoying and i know that she's supposed to be a 14 year old girl mm-hmm. in high school but i mean i student taught with with uh eighth graders 14 mm-hmm. year olds don't talk like that 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 literally is somebody's interpretation of what a 14 year old would sound like that's like if i'm trying to write as a 14 year old i'm gonna write like that and again maybe that's intentional i don't know um but it was just a little bit too much so my rating i'm gonna give it like a three and a half or a four but again i've read it now i read it twice and i've listened to it once so um i obviously i loved it yeah i keep returning to it because because it does like again especially for the ending where i'm like what the like I'm gasping. Like, it's such a good it twist. And somebody on Reddit, when I was reading about it, because again, everyone in Reddit and the horror lit, because I'm in the horror lit uh, subreddit, always talks about this book. It comes up all the time when people are suggesting. It's always it's Paul so Tremblay's good. Head Full of Ghosts. Also, it was optioned for uh, a movie, so yeah. that's supposed to be in production. Well, that, yeah, yeah. Was, when I was listening to it, I felt like I was watching a movie. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so ripe for like an adaptation. I mean, if they do it right, it's going to be so great. So moving on, because this is a drinkable podcast, book club edition, not addiction. We're going to talk about this drink. So again, I did get this recipe online. I wanted From to. Where? It was called like Yumly, but it is a it's a sangria. It's a fireball. They put pineapples in there. We have ice cubes. Sorry, we're. You should have told me to bring. I have frozen pineapple. Can't afford pineapple. I have frozen ones at home. <laughs> anyway, um, so not talking about the story that went along with it. Uh, it is essentially, let's see, again, this is by author Jacqueline. Uh, it's essentially orange, peach, mango juice, fireball whiskey, and then dry red wine. And uh, so let's talk about it. Do you like it? What do you think? Yeah, it tastes like Christmas. It in, smells like Christmas. In it's anything July. Similar, yeah. It's almost July, so July. I mean, July is like in a few hours. So I, yeah. think, I think it's very Yeah, so it's like Christmas in July. Um, the reason I chose this, I wanted to do something um, that was what that was a little bit darker. I wanted to do something that was bright because the color of the book is that such a bright orange, and that really I think to me is the perfect scene because again we have mm-hmm. the sun, the, the lights flooding through the windows. We have her running down the stairs. We have her jumping off the thing and like almost freeze, almost levitating in midair, right? Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful ending for that the possession, the show. And um, but also I wanted to have something that had multiple layers because we don't it is again a story about uh, a girl talking about a show that's being written as a book and she's a writer so um, I wanted to have all those different layers I love the idea of fireball because fireball is kind of cinnamony but also if you drink enough of it you're going to end up 
possessed. <laughs> you end up a different person. Um, so I really, and then, so this, I was just looking at different fireball, fireball recipes and uh, I liked the idea of a sangria. So um, it's, it's perfect. So I am a big fan of this drink. Uh, we'll put the link uh, with the description as well, as well as uh, what this looks like, as well as a link to maybe Amazon or Barnes and Noble to buy this book, maybe audible.com again, audible shout out, sponsor me, please. Um, so that we can, uh, we can get this going. So we do have our next book. Sorry, I'm a segue. We do have our next book ready to go. I just purchased it. It was just released yesterday. I've already read some early reviews about it, um, and we'll just seed that. So if you are going to catch up, if you're going to keep up with our book club, I'm hoping maybe next week, maybe in two weeks, we'll see. Uh, our next book that we will be reading is Survive the Night by Riley Sager. And if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. So I'm excited about this. Again, this one is also uh, the main action takes place in the 90s, it looks like. Um, I just got it yesterday. also have the audiobook locked and loaded. So that's what we're going to be consuming. Uh, we're going to pick our drink. If you have a drink suggestion, let us know. Survive the night. Riley Saker. Next time on a drinkable podcast, the book club edition with me, Kevin, and her, V. Yes. Thank you, everybody. That's all we have for you.